can I train my horse with food because he bites me or he's aggressive or I'm really uncomfortable with carrying food or I think it's bribery or whatever. Hi and welcome to Leader Horse to Water, the equine podcast for behaviour and training enthusiasts. I'm Trudy Dempsey, an equine clicker trainer and behaviour consultant in the UK. You can find me at equinetrainingandbehaviourist.com, on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. You'll find links in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you, ideas for future podcasts, guests, or just to let me know what you're training, what your training hiccups are. Please do get in touch and I promise I'll get back to you. Okay, on with the podcast. This is episode one. It's a monologue. Please, all six of you listeners, don't turn off yet. I am planning to have lots of great guests in the future. I've been advised to imagine that I'm just talking to one person, which is a bit weird because I'm talking to a microphone, but I do have my two dogs with me. I have Cozzy, my working cocker, and I have Sherlock, my little Yorkshire terrier. So I'm going to have them along for company and imagine that they're my listeners. So why podcast? I love listening to podcasts and I listen to them when I'm going to sleep or when I've got boring tasks to do. But especially I love listening to them when I'm driving. In the car, it feels like you're really getting to know the person podcasting and you find things out about the guests that you wouldn't any other way. It's a really natural way of chatting and I just love it. And I wanted to redress the balance a little and get some equine podcasts and positive reinforcement going in a podcast this side of the pond. So I got to be the wrong side of 50. I don't know how that happened. And unfortunately now I'm quite a long way the wrong way of 50. But at that point I decided I was going to challenge myself. I've been doing webinars, writing, undertook my certification with the IABC and so many other things in life that I'm not going to divulge today. But one thing, I tried not to say no to many things at all. So here I am, and I'm podcasting. When I have guests on, I I really want to talk not just to the pros, although they obviously have some amazing tips and advice in terms of training and behaviour. But I also want to talk to people who have had their own experiences their own stories to tell with their own horses or horses that they know or have worked with. Of course, I want it all to be positive reinforcement centred, but also those things on the fringes of our training, things like uh, alternative grazing systems, barefoot, bitless, and some book reviews. So if anyone has ideas, please do fire those at me. I'm going to begin all the guest episodes by asking the guests to share with us their knowledge, uh, their background, where they came from in terms of horses, how they got into positive reinforcement, and right up to date with you know the current projects they're working on. So I thought, really, if I'm going to be the podcaster, it makes sense for me to tell you a little bit about my background. I grew up as a pony mad kid. I did pony club, showing, gymkhanas and jumping cross country, just all the things that 
everyone would have done at that point. It was very old fashioned, very traditional. Also had some lovely, lovely times in summer holidays. Me and my mate Helen would pack up our sandwiches and go off with our ponies for long, long rides. And I remember when we used to go to cross country, we rode quite a long way from where I lived to a cross-country venue and we would hack for I think it took us at least an hour to hack there although childhood memories as they are Helen's probably going to put me right on that when she hears this but we would hack there do a couple of classes and hack home and it was just honestly uh, it seems now looking back anyway an idyllic childhood around ponies and later obviously horses around the sort of late teens I think boys came on the scene a bit more and I went to college and stuff and basically horses went out of the back door for a while in my early 20s I got back into it and I started taking my BHS exams British Horse Society and my husband who I met around that time he got into horses and we just really had a great time together we bought a house, we built stables and our own yard and he would compete show jumping and I would compete dressage and the amateur but we had great weekends out in the lorry and I suppose it was at that time that I really got interested in horses and their behaviour as opposed to just getting on a horse and doing something because we had horses that I think nowadays people would call them quirky. Well I'm not sure they were actually quirky I think they had behavioural problems. They were often passed from pillar to post, different people picked them up. It didn't matter whether you bought it from a private seller or from a dealer. You're just as likely to get a problem horse. And that was always what it was. It was a problem horse or a quirky horse, you know, cold-backed. There were so many descriptions of what was wrong with these horses. And we, we didn't have lots of money to spend. So we had a lot of quirky horses at, you know, at, at some points in our life. In my late 20s, really because of this, because of trying to get down, drill down into to why my horses were behaving the way they were, and because I was interested in dressage, I became a freelance classical dressage trainer because I became an understudy to a lady called Penny Hillston. She was a writer, a GP rider in her day, and I was just fascinated with the stories that she told me about classical dressage and a different way of looking at things. It really sparked my interest. I, I'm going at 100 miles an hour through my past here, and I hope in future podcasts that yeah, I'll, I'll drill down a bit deeper into lots of this, but I don't want to send you to completely to sleep in the first one. Around that time, as well as working to become a trainer, I also undertook judge training. And, you know, I thought I was going to go into British dressage, learn to be a judge, and I was going to attack it from the inside. You know, all this bad stuff that was going on with dressage, tight, overbent horses and everything else. But, you know, what I found was when you went in there and did judge training, there were the most amazing top level judges whose knowledge was fabulous, who were generous to the traditional horses as opposed to the dressage horses. So you could go in on a hairy pony that moved well and a list one judge would mark you just as highly as if you were riding a warm blood with flashy paces. 
obviously there there are differences but you know i'm i'm just talking about not being knocked down because you're not on a traditional warm blood style dressage horse so yeah i found it was it, it was a, a a wonderful time because i learned so much i learned so much about getting my eye in and i have applied that to my training ever since i see things i see things in the rider and so yeah, that became a, a fundamental part of, of me as I went on. But I never got into judging because we went off to France. My husband and I and my daughter, who was um, just under two at that point, we took ourselves off to France and we lived in France for 10 years. Um, that was, oh gosh, a real change in my life. I had already touched on training my dogs with positive reinforcement. I'd bred a litter of terriers and we kept our gorgeous scruffy Tika. And I so desperately wanted to train her because I just thought it would be easy. We'd had terriers. I'd never really adopted any training principles. I just relied on the fact that we had lots of open space and they were happy to be with me. Uh, but I'd never done any formal training. So I took Teak off to training, um, which would have been around 1998, I'm thinking back now. And we worked with food. I'd never heard of this method before, but we were, okay, luring. I don't have a problem with luring again. You're going to find out these things about me in the podcast at some point. But, you know, up front, I don't mind luring. We were luring our dogs down with food. We were bringing them up into a stand with food. We were asking them to sit with food. And I was just mind blown. I was then encouraged to fade the food out and use the hand gesture or a verbal cue afterwards. I, I mean, this was just, wow. And I had a terrier that everybody told me, oh, you can't train a terrier. They're rubbish at learning stuff. And the only thing that little puppy got wrong was having a pee one time at a training session. So I was already, you know, turned on by this idea of positive reinforcement, although I didn't really know much about it. So in this move to France, I was able to start playing and thinking through the way that I wanted to train. I'd always wanted to train horses kindly. I remember crying when a trainer had me in draw reins and, and she just sort of looked at me as if, what have I said? And I'm like, I can't ride like this. Um, so I'd always wanted to be kind and I always wanted to understand the horse. But here I was in France, I was safe from the public eye and I could do what the heck I wanted to do. So encouraged by that and also by the absolute generosity of other trainers, because that's what in, I'm so impressed with in all animal training is the generosity of the communities that surround it. Yes, there's some bickering. Yes, there can be some really nasty stuff goes on between trainers and, oh, my way is the only way. But there's also a huge generosity in sharing things. And I just love that. So really in those early days, hearing uh, people who were training with Alex Curland and their experiences and, and how clicker training was working with them, I was just mind blown and I started to train with a clicker. I started and then I started again and then I started again because I had lots of teething problems. There's me on my own, not really knowing how this all worked. 
I was using the good old fashioned trial and error. You know, if they don't get it right, ignore it. There was lots of extinction coming out, you know, legs banging on concrete and biting. Yeah, nothing really nasty. I wasn't getting attacked by a horse, but everything seemed a bit over threshold and it was really, really confusing. So that's why I began over and over because each time I got into it, something would come along and I'd stumble over it and then I'd give up. And then I think, I can't train this without a clicker. How am I going to train this? And I'd go back to it with better ideas, with more you know, information in my head that how I was going to approach it. So that's why now I'm really, really keen to help new people to it. I want to help them so they don't make quite the mistakes that I made. Sometimes that means I'm using things that doesn't look instantly like clicker training. Again, you'll find out about some of these techniques, but they are all positive reinforcement in some way. I was obviously primarily a classical dressage trainer and those behavior issues that I'd experienced myself I found that I was being asked as a trainer to sort them out for students and it, it, simple things like my horse won't put his bit in or my horse won't load when I'm going to a show or my horse won't stand still for me to get on or he won't even come near the mountain block and then you hear stories about you know, a lovely client who'd been told to keep circling her horse until it disappeared almost into the ground. And you know, how that was a way to teach it to stand still at the mountain block. And I just realized that a lot of what I did wasn't actually dressage training, but it was behavioral work. It was changing horses' perceptions, getting in there and working out why these emotional responses had become the norm for a horse. So then eight years ago, I returned to the UK and gone was my time of playing privately on my own and being able to almost hide away from the public eye. Facebook and all the social media platforms had, had grown enormously and everyone's on there for work. And the whole thing you know, returned massively but by now I was really confident to be myself and be out there and say this is what I do I'm a clicker trainer I don't have any problem with this it's just a term I don't always use a clicker uh, you'll hear me say that so many times and I don't apologize for it but I always look for a title for myself what am I well yeah I'm a clicker trainer it doesn't matter whether I train with a clicker all the time you know what I'm talking about if I say I'm a clicker trainer so when I came back and I set myself up again for business in the UK, I realized that I was passionate. Sorry, it's that P word and I know everybody hates it, but I was. I loved behavior. I loved the nitty gritty of finding out why a horse wasn't loading. I was fascinated in by the, the neuroscience of behavior and learning and the whole thing, the behavior and the training all started to like a jigsaw come into place and, and create the whole picture that was to become me. I was searching for something that I, I needed to belong to, that I felt you know, a certification, an accreditation or a group of trainers. And I did look around and I found several, but I just didn't feel completely comfortable with them. I also at that time took the Natural Animals Centre course and 
that to told me lots and lots and I, I really you know recommend anyone to pick that up it's a really great starting place and nowadays there are a lot of places that you can train for behavior including the amazing Riddle uh, in Essex and as I was searching for something, I found the IAABC. I was looking for a course to take, as I generally take a course over the winter time. It's a little bit of a downtime for lots of horsey people. The nights are longer, so I have more time on my hands. And the IABC were running a mentorship with the amazing Justine Harrison. So I hopped on that and I had no intention of becoming a behavior consultant at that point. But I realized it really, really lit my fire. I was so excited to think that I could actually go out and help people specifically with their behavior problems rather than just thinking about it being training and adding behavior when necessary. That's when the Big 50 challenge came up. And, you know, I really have just started to push on and try all these new things. Am I jealous of all the kids? Yes, of course I am. If I was 20 now, knowing what I know in my 50s, gosh, I, I would feel so empowered to go out there and do things. But do I feel that I'm too old to give anything? No, of course I don't. I bring with me a wealth of experience. I've been around horses for over 50 years. And what I do, I love. I love working with the people. I love working with the horses. Going forwards, where am I? Well, I'm still running online training. I'm still meeting with my regular clients here in the Southwest in Somerset. And I'm producing webinars and training courses all the time, which I really love. I also travel around the UK giving workshops. Obviously, at the moment during coronavirus, those are going to be limited to smaller groups. But I love really meeting people face to face or Zoom to Zoom. And digging down into behavior and training issues. So that's where I am now. And I hope that you'll come on this podcast journey with me and meet the guests as I meet them. I thought I'd finish the podcast with a couple of questions I'm asked all the time. I mean, literally at the end of nearly every workshop or webinar or first couple of training sessions that I do with a new client, I'm asked, you know, I don't want to be a clicker trainer. Um, you know, and I'm, well, no, nor did I. But now I, I really embrace that. And I call myself a clicker trainer, although I don't use a clicker all the time. So the questions that they come up with, I think the most first is, can I train my horse with food because he bites me or he's aggressive or I'm really uncomfortable with carrying food or I think it's bribery or whatever? But can I train any horse with food? And my answer is really simple. I think, yes, you can train any horse with food, but it isn't as easy as that. It's not about just going and grabbing a clicker, stuffing food in your bag, grabbing a target and going for it. It needs a lot more care. When you're using food, you have to be careful. You've got a huge animal. It's not like a bouncy dog doing agility, that you really love that energy and enthusiasm. You know, when a horse gets that energetic and that enthusiastic, you can start to get a little bit worried. So yes, I do believe you can train any horse with food, but maybe we should be asking, can any trainer train a horse with food? Because quite honestly, some of my students, when they've started out, have not been in a place that they could yet apply the rules that you need for training with food. 
So if you're one of those people that think it's a bit of bribery or think it's just about adding some food, chucking food willy-nilly at the horse afterwards, you know, there's so much to learn. And I hope you're going to join me on more of these podcasts to find out those answers because I'm not going to answer them all in one short answer to this question. So in short, absolutely, I believe any horse can be trained with food. But don't forget, we don't have to use food. Food's what we call the reinforcer. Reinforcement of a behaviour means that we're going to get more of that behaviour in the future. Food is only one way of reinforcing things. What would your horse work for? A nice gentle stroke, some nice deep scratches, maybe just some wandering time or going to see some horsey friends that it doesn't normally see on the other side of the fence. Maybe some lovely smells. Who knows? It's up to us to find the things that are reinforcing. It's not our choice. It's the organism, the horse. It's their choice what is reinforcing. And it doesn't just have to be food. The other question that I'm asked all the time after those first sessions or in the groups that I might talk to or teach is when can I stop clicking? There's this real thing in people's brains. It's like a little worm going around in that brain saying, oh, you know, you're wrong. You shouldn't have to keep clicking. Well, why? I don't know where we've come to with this because clicker training, yes, you click and you reinforce, but you move it forwards. I'm not always going to click for a horse to stand still and be calm. I'm not always going to click for two steps of walk. I'm going to click for 10 steps of walk, 100 steps of walk, but just not in one day. It's going to take me longer than that to work on it. So although I'm not going to click for the same things all the time throughout the horse's life, I'm always going to give that horse opportunities to get a reinforcer. But we're going to be doing more advanced work or work with more finesse so that my cues can become lighter and brighter. Imagine if you were at work for two years getting really good at your job and then after the two years your boss comes in and says okay that's it you're getting so good at this I'm just not going to pay you. It's just it's a no-brainer. I, I really don't understand why people don't embrace that idea that you are never going to fade the clicker out of your training. You're going to fade out of the actual exercises you do so that they become so amazing and so light and bright and clean and build that conversation that you can have between each other. So no, I'm never going to take the reinforcement away from my horse. It might receive it in a larger lump at some point, And on some days, we'll barely do any clicker training. But generally speaking, yeah, I'm going to be doing the same amount of reinforcing throughout my horse's life. Hope that answered those questions for you very, very generally, not going into any great depth and that's what we're going to do on the podcast, get into some really, I hope, meaty stuff with some of the guests. So join me again soon. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the podcast. I'll be along soon with some more, so do join me for those. I've been Trudy Dempsey, and you can find my information in the show notes. You can email me at trudy at equinetrainingandbehaviorist.com with any ideas for future shows, questions you might have, or guests that you'd love to hear on the show. See you again soon. Bye.